The Limey and the Yank are gonna rock your day All the way from England to the USA The great song debate from yesterday and today The Limey and the Yank are gonna rock your way Spreading the love, spreading the joy With the music we play How about The Shadows, Man of Mystery? Yes. See, to me, that sounds like James Bond, man. It's got that depth. But what is it in that depth and that sound that absolutely moves you, takes you to a different planet? Because, yeah, if you think about it, that whole the secret agent pop and the surf rock and all of that were all guitar heavy. So now you have a lot of popular culture rock and roll songs that are big on guitar. So what do you do to make the guitars differentiate? You drill holes in your speaker or you make little changes. So uh, I got a bit of Man of Mystery if you want me to play it. I love it. Here you go. Check this out, folks. Your air guitar. Who didn't? <laughs> Who didn't? Isn't that awesome? It's that deep, dark sound that captures that era. The Ventures did it with the pipeline too. Yes. But the interesting thing is that also shifted gears a little bit in the 80s and the 90s as people started taking it in different directions. And I guess one of the examples I'll give is that you had 80s alt-rock and 90s shoegazer, we talked about shoegazer before, where they take the fuzz sound in a softer direction to try to make the music, even though a fuzz, a buzzy sound, you would think would sound rattling like an alarm bell, you could actually make it sound really spacey and everything seem more laid back. And I've got an example of that from the Jesus and Mary chain, for those of you who know them. Just Like Honey, one of their most well-known songs. Let me play you a little bit of that. I'm glad you brought up spacey stuff. I've got a spacey one too. Everybody was like into space in the 60s because of the moon. It's interesting because it was almost like there's a little bit of wall of sound going on in there, you know? But like I say, there's a lot of people that wanted that spacey sound, especially in the 60s. You know, it's like, um, you know, like the Ventures, Pipeline, mm -hmm. talked about Man of Mystery. Do you want to play a bit? I've got Pipeline if you want to play a sample. Of it. Pipeline or if you've got the Tornadoes, Telstar, that's another one. But they put some really special effects in that. Yeah, Telstar starts to get a little bit spacey 
<laughs> with, with the, the hand organ stuff. Yeah, yeah, like they the bring in more of the organ. I think Ventures is, you're exactly right, brother. That's a better example of that. Plus, I have that one. <laughs> Very smart. I'd like you stay. I'll come up with a brainy reason why I have to go up this way. <laughs> Here you go, folks. Here's a little bit of ventures because that's that whole 60s rock pipeline. Example, brother. For the record, Anthrax does a cover of Pipeline that is killer. It's really? fantastic. I'm not to pull it. It's got these thundering drums. It's just really nice, and they're they're playing it just perfectly. They have to, because when you have a classic and you have to redo it, you better make sure you got something great up there. And they do it faster, which amazed me. Okay, so we're moving on. The, I, I have another example of that. Where, okay, sorry. Uh, I mentioned about how in the 80s and 90s, they started to try to make the fuzz, make it sound a little further away, a little distant. Yep. There's this song by the cult that they did this for the movie Cool World, ended up on the soundtrack with the song The Witch, which is a very long song. Yeah. It, it's kind of like Joe Walsh's Life's Been Good, where it's like three songs all rolled into one. Throughout all of that is this, this fuzzy distortion that makes everything sound just buried. Awesome. What an amazing sound, huh? Yeah. It's really weird how they just kind of, I mean, the whole thing just sounds like it's vibrating and overcharged, and yet it's listenable. You listen to the song and go, yeah, that's pretty groovy. Can I say groovy when we're in the 80s and 90s? I don't think so. But the 80s and 90s were more digital. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Which is a big difference and a big difference in sound. You know, whether it's not using a drummer and using fake drums or whatever you want to call it. But, you know, talking about sounds and music and what you have to work for or what you have to use technology-wise, do you want to carry on with the 80s or do you want to slip back and go into, like, 
some of the sounds of the 70s, which there was some great music that came out of the 70s too. Yes to both of those. Okay. And I'll tell you why, because a lot of people think the 80s was kind of a rise of computerization because that's when most people started having a computer in their home. But really, it was actually the 1960s that started electronic music going. We were in the midst of the Cold War and the space race. And some of the musicians at the time really loved the math side of the music. And they wanted to make a thing that was like a like programmable. And so the example I'm going to give you is Pete Townshend of The Who wanted Baba O'Reilly, which is the opening to Teenage Wasteland, to be programmed into a synthesizer then fed back out as a computer-generated sound. And he put a lot of work into trying to make that happen, only to have so many technical problems that in the end, he just played it himself on an organ with the marimba repeat option turned on. But when you listen to it, you really think it's it's computerized and it's tightly synchronized. Yeah. So let's, let's play a little bit of that. Sure. Today. Anything from the Who I love. what it is it's all about different unique sounds but it seems like it changes through each era from like the 70s you know the decades and the 80s and 90s because with technology progressing and there's so much more out there people experiment and try but without that experimentation and doing that you're gonna be flat for always you know and you know we talked about Les Paul coming up with his particular flanging thing in the 1940s. There was a sound in the 40s and 50s that I thought was the 40s and 50s, but actually dates back to the 20s. Does it really? Yeah, the theremin. You know what a theremin is? No, I don't. I don't know that. It is a really weird little instrument. The idea, the theremin was invented in 1928 by Leon Theremin. It's two metal antennas they control oscillators and the oscillators change the pitch and sound they oscillate based on your hand's position in relation to those two antennas. So one of your hands controls the frequency and the other controls the volume. Or if you're in science class, you'd say, you mean amplitude. <laughs> but the amplitude modulation and the frequency oscillation gave us the sound of the theremin, which you often hear in a, in a science fiction movie where the, the, the flying saucers are there and you're... <laughs> now it's being scary. Don't help me. Save, oh, save me from this guy. Save me. No, because one of your favorite songs has the theremin in it. All right, play it. Don't talk anymore. The Beach Boys, Good Vibrations. Check this out. She goes with me to a classroom room. I'm picking up good vibrations. She's giving me the excitations. I'm picking up good vibrations. She's giving me the excitations. 
Isn't that fun? I love it. That's what they do. You need to stick a thing on top of your head and like put those in and go, like my favorite Martian and stuff. When the antennas used to go up and all that kind of stuff. Look, I'm Ray Walston, your favorite Martian. Special effects. Come on, folks. We need more people calling in, telling us what your favorite song is, what your favorite special effects. We don't care whether you know how it's done or not. We'll figure it out. But tell me why it moves you or tell us why it moves you and why it's such a favorite for you. We'd love to hear from you. You know, we can tell who's listening and who isn't, who's we, naughty we or can, nice. But we do have a little harder time tracking comments while we're streaming. So That's right. We have to go back to that. We apologize if we can't see it right away. It's and a little difficult to keep it refreshed. But talking about the theremin, talking about the synthesized stuff and the who and trying to do Baba O'Reilly. One of the other people who did this in the 1960s was Wendy Carlos. She was using uh, she was using a lot of different synthesizers, and it's actually there's this really cool video I'm going to share with you all. I think I've already shared it at least once, where she's walking you through all the different modules that make up a Moog synthesizer, which is like a wall of little modular synthesizers. But here's a fun fact: Wendy Carlos did the soundtrack to Clockwork Orange. Yes, that's that sound, and because she loved classical music and played different kinds. She also did an album that was very popular called Switched on Bach, where she was playing all of this classical music using synthesizers. And then she's probably better known to the 80s kids as having done the soundtrack to Tron. Tron, Jeff Bridges. So the interesting thing about this is that when she recorded the score to Tron on tape, because it was 1980, and the time came to digitize it, the master tapes had deteriorated to the point that trying to play them would destroy both the tape and the player. So she actually used a technique called tape baking that heats the tape up enough to re-glue the magnetic material to the substrate to be able to play it one more time and get it all digitized. That's just kind of crazy tech to me, to, to know to do that and go, oh, well, that's how we handle that. <laughs> It's awesome. But yeah, the Moog synthesizer was like the king, or may still be, the king of electronic instruments. Because after selling theremins for years, Robert Moog decided, I, I apologize, some people say it's Moog. Sorry if I say it wrong, I, I don't mean to, but he decided to build his own more practical equipment. So he would use voltage to control the pitch with an oscillator, and then he introduced the world to some of the fundamental concepts that audio engineers use in all recorded production today, like modularity, envelope generation, and more, attack time, rise and fall, stuff like that. So the Moog was a collection of all these different oscillators, amplifiers, filters, noise generators, ring modulators, envelope generators, triggers and mixers, and you could play an instrument into it, even if that was just the instrument in question was just some pedals or a joystick or two. <laughs> so the loop was all these modules you plug together and then plug an instrument into it. And the knobs and dials would let you literally shape the sound wave, even doing so on the fly while you played a note. So where a synthesizer, like we were talking about with Pete Townshend, might cost $100,000 or more in 1960s money, you could get a move for $10,000 or less. 
Yeah, but you know, the synthesizer, it really started off in, um, actually in the 70s, 74, and it, they used it consistently in music. Just about every song had some kind of synthesizer in it. Different types, right? There's different types out there. And up to like, I don't know, 1986, and they faded out a bit. Uh, yeah, exactly, because there's like this path you can follow, like you're saying, from if you go from like Harold Bode's synthesizer in the 1950s through the Moog, through Roland and Korg, and if mm -hmm. you recognize those last few names today, chances are you know your electronica. 808s and Korg M1s, they were staples of the, of the early days of electronica in the 90s, and they all fed off of that same... Yeah. iteration through technology you hit the nail on the head with the good vibrations from the beach boys they're the ones that used the the mug synthesizer and they, they brought it out especially because they wanted to compete with sergeant peppers can you imagine <laughs> shit oh pardon my friends what are we gonna do we have to do something we can't sing about bikinis and surfboards Oh, my God, what are we going to do? It was the 1960s. I'm surprised they didn't just go, we'll sing about bikinis in space. Yeah, but that's how they come up with the, and they did it. They were up there with Sergeant Peppers with pet sounds when they did it. And they tried the hardest, and they were successful. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, absolutely. If you have to hear one album, and I love everything the Beach Boys have ever done in this world, the one album you've got to go... It's amazing, Pet Sounds. And you know, in some ways, it's like the Beatles in that it was a jumping off point because Pet Sounds wasn't embraced by every Beach Boys fan out there when it first came out. Just like when the Beatles shifted from I Want to Hold Your Hand to Magical Mystery Tour, the people weren't always along for the ride. Because and, they wanted yeah. it the way that they like it, like Bob Dylan going into electric instead of acoustic and get booed off the stage. Yeah, and saying to those people, I love you but I'm growing as an artist and whether you like it or not, I'm still going to do it. Am I right? Revolver, Sergeant Pepper, Andy Road, amazing. History was made by being willing to take those risks. Hey kids, time to go for now, but don't forget you can always find us on Facebook, on LinkedIn, and on Twitter, and you can stop by our YouTube channel where we've put playlists together of all of the episodes and the seasons, so you can let those roll and have a lot of fun reliving your memories with the original, full versions of the songs. We also have the website, thelimeyandtheyank.com, where you can go download MP3s of your favorite songs from Amazon. We really appreciate you listening to the show. And the most important thing to us is please keep sharing with us your stories, your memories, your favorite songs. Give us feedback. Tell us how we're doing. And please do keep tuning in wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again. 